Come on in. Welcome to another edition of the Strip Till Farmer Podcast. Great to have you with us as always. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Thanks to Yetter Farm Equipment for sponsoring the show. We'll have a special message from them later in the podcast. Today, a trio of strip tillers discuss their plans for 2023. John Stevens of Rock Creek, Minnesota, Ryan Nell of Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, and Ryan Shaw of Snover, Michigan, join me on stage at the 9th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference in Iowa City. Let's check out some of the highlights from the panel discussion. Roll tape. All right, guys, we're going to start with rapid fire here. What are you driving? What are you pulling? And what are you planning? Uh, we're, we're pulling our 12-row uh, soil warrior with uh, KSIH row quad. Uh, we plant corn, soybeans, sugar beets, and some cereal rye. We use a 12-row gladiator and a 12-row Dawn Gen 5 deer equipment for pulling. And we plant corn beans and a little bit of wheat. Gotcha. John? Uh, Massey 8660 with a B&H bar. Um, and then uh, corn beans, uh, the rotation, uh, barley, oats, wheat, and hay. Next question. Uh, based on input costs today, what changes are you planning to make to your fertilizer and herbicide programs in 2023? Last year, we built a band sprayer. We started band spraying some of our herbicides and actually some of our first leaf spot sprays over our sugar beets just to shorten the chemical load. All right, Ryan. For herbicide, like for this year, uh, with some of the shortages with cover crops, uh, I wanted to make sure we weren't making any extra passes because of the covers. So kind of changing our program a little bit there, not really adding extra cost, just more timing. Uh, fertilizer, doing a little more crop removal right now rather than doing some builds. But uh, we're looking at right now going to a, a 24 row with fertilizer on it for next year. So I think we'll be banding, moving that direction. Gotcha. Herbicide, I think uh, we might look into a weed wipe for next year to see if that could bring any value to us uh, and then just work harder on the proper timing. And then on the, the fertility plan, uh, we set up a thing with Kemp here to, to, to do something uh, on some trials next year and then bring in more tissue sampling and just uh, try to be more, more focused on, on the management side of it instead of just broad pounds and then with the cover crops bring in more natural fertility into the soil. What, what environmental challenges are you looking at tackling in 2023? John, we'll start with you. Uh, our environment, we're on the St. Croix watershed, and so we're two miles from the St. Croix River as the crow flies, uh, just an hour north of several million people. Uh, we're, we're looked at very heavily on the state, and so we, we really need to focus on runoff and erosion. And uh, as far, if, if that's what you mean by environmental, um, yep, yep, that's a, that's a big concern for our area and a big driving force behind the whole soil health approach to where we're at. How much of cover crops help with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, the cover crops, are, is, that, that's what's making it happen. I mean, we, we took rain water infiltration tests that after three hours of watching water evaporate out of a cup, uh, we now have spots that are 6, 8, 12 inches per hour after several tests. Uh, we can see on our ditches, um, where we used to literally intertube down the field ditches uh, as a kid after a big rain event. Now you walk out there and you're like, four, we have four inches in four hours and there's this much water in a ditch now. Um, we're, we're getting that water into the soil and the, the, the shank machine of strip till in our area with our soil is a huge add to the cover crops because the cover crops will slow the water down 
coming down the surface with the strip till and the shank tear that slot open and allow that water to get into that profile instead of going to the St. Croix. All right, Ryan, uh, yeah, same question. What environmental challenges are you looking to tackle next year? Not a whole lot really from what we changed from this last year. We, you know, we really jumped into cover crop cereal rye in front of soybeans for this last year. We're about 50% of our acres are covered in the fall. Um, I don't know if we're gonna increase that going on corn. Uh, kind of like, I like it in front of beans, maybe not so much in front of corn. We're pretty much almost 100% fall strip till the way it is. Not really changing a lot, maybe more on the fer fertilizer side, trying to manage that band a little more than what we have been doing. But uh, for the most part, not changing a whole lot from one year to the next. Uh, we never move our zone. We're always planting in the same strip all the time. Uh, last year, we didn't put enough priority on getting over our uh, twin row corn stocks, making the strips over them. And uh, we couldn't make up that time in the spring because we were just, a second pass would have just dried it out more and made things worse. And so we're going to prioritize this fall to get over all those corn stacks rather than, uh, you know, if soybean stubble doesn't get the strips made, if it doesn't need the fertility down, but well, we can always do that in the spring or no-till it in. Um, and to get 100% of our acres back into cover crops, last year we fell a little bit short on some of our sugar beet ground as... I think Brian Ryberg mentioned that that the beet ground was just black all winter long and uh, to get that covered. How long have you been using cover crops for, would you say? We've been flirting around with them for quite a few years now. I'd say about 15 years that we just, we're slowly getting into more blends and stuff. We do interseed our corn now. Um, so we're starting to flirt with more of them and uh, get more comfortable with which ones that they say you don't want to go to seed and become nauseous and become a problem. Michaela's got one. Okay, Michaela Parker, what do you got? So all three of you guys are using cover crops, and I've heard strip tillers say, I can't make cover crops work with strip till. So what are they missing, or what do you think they're doing wrong? In my opinion, I think covers and strip till are a perfect harmony. Um, I really like having the cover crop in between my 30-inch rows, and I prefer not to have a cover crop touching my corner beans. Um, so in my opinion, I think they work better together. Um, we, we run an air seeder and then we run a strip till bar right behind it. So it's two separate passes. In my opinion, that, that it's, it's a great system in my opinion. It's hard to beat that system. Uh, John, if you want to answer too. A any, anything of soil health works anywhere. It's just how can you manage it to get it to your operation. It, they're just a great companion together, uh, how to incorporate it. We, we did not change uh, no-till cover crops, go into young corn with a broadcaster. Strip-till, go into young corn with a broadcaster. I, 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 I don't fathom or I can't correlate how the strip-till ahead of planting has a reflect on the cover crop application later on, um, depending on cover crop species, goals, timings, things like that, you can run into some challenges. It works well. Maybe on that part, the, the, maybe if you're spring stripping, um, I could see that as an issue. If you had, you know, cereal rye that maybe got a little out of hand and you're trying to spring strip or try to manage that, I could definitely see that you could run into an issue. Um, but that's, that's a management thing and you just kind of have to see what the calendar is in your situation. And maybe you need to terminate your cover crop a little earlier rather than trying to strip till it green. I could see that being an issue, trying to get a strip-till bar through some pretty massive cover crops could be an issue depending on your bar, but it's just a management thing and it's going from there. Now that you say that, I'm going to use a strip-till bar to seed cover crops just to, just to thumb that, don't work here. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, anything you want to add to the um, conversation? We, uh, we ended up 
I don't think anybody is doing anything wrong. It's just a matter of adapting to what you're seeing each year because most of it's environmental or weather that uh, can throw the, the loops into it. We found when we were seeding down solid seeded cover crops that if we were making fall strips and applying the fertilizer that we were ripping two perfect rows out. So that's what we use that inner seeder to uh, apply all our fall cover crops outside of our zone that'll overwinter. And then if we have a spare tank that we're not using on our soil warrior, we'll put some winter kill stuff down like oats or buckwheat or anything to hold that berm down and with hopes to stale seed bed into it the next spring. Uh, we had ran into trouble with, like they were saying, uh, cereal rye or annual rye that gets seeded over into your planting zone. And we one spring suffered from having troubles closing our slot and stuff just because of that, the mesh of roots that were there. If you were forced hypothetically to get rid of um, either strip till or cover crops, which would you get rid of? Boy, that's a tough one. I'd, I'd have a lot of crying nights. They're both just wonderful tools. Uh, if I had to get rid of one of them, it would be the strip till um, because I know in time I could get the cover crops to do the tillage work that I'm trying to do. And in the long term, the cover crops will do the fertility and, and everything else that they're trying to do. Yeah, my cover crop would have been gone right away if I had to choose one or the other. <laughs> if you took a false strip away from me, I'd be very disappointed, so, yeah. Uh, for me, I guess it would be, uh, it would all depend on the acreage or the farm that I was dealing with at that time or, or field by field. Uh, if, if I wasn't applying any nutrients or banding it down, I'd, I'd keep the cover crop. All right, next question. That was a fun one. So a, a little backdrop on the question first. So I, I talked to Ryan last night at one of the roundtables, and I, don't know where it's I work for an entity that is involved in trying to build out soil health programming and providing cost share for local. I work for the state. Sorry, my apologies. But my question is, how important is that flexibility in using cover crops to move it from field to field or acre to acre? We have some folks who really want to push for, if you're going to get cost share for cover crops, you need to do it on the same acres year after year to sort of build the soil health piece that was mentioned. But think about it from the perspective of when you're starting. And just, I want to hear from producers, like, how important is that flexibility to move it around, even if you're pursuing some sort of funding? I think with your government programs, um, the flexibility of the program would be a big important factor to allow flexibility because we have bad years, good years, things like that. So if you sign into with a permanent contract, you could you could have the debate that if we're getting into cover cropping and we're not we're we're moving that cover crop from field to field and never give that same spot the many years of cover crops it might take to heal that dead dirt and create functioning living soil, we might be missing some opportunity, but at the same time, you'd want that ability for that producer learning to be able to adapt them first couple of years, to be like, okay, we tried it on that field. It's not quite, we're not quite understanding what's going on. Let's go to this field without losing that contract. Ryan or Ryan, anything to add or? I think there should be some flexibility in it, but I do see the reasoning behind wanting to follow the same track number to, we won't see the change in one year, but if you could do the multiple years in a row, you may start to see something change. 
but you'd also, if it's a newcomer, you don't want to put them in a position where they can't be flexible enough to where they get a bad taste of it and abandon it because I think with the programs, you want them to continue that even after the program was over with. So it, kind of more leaning towards that, what, what works for their system. If, if it's rotating to a different field, I think that they should be flexible with that. Next question. Yeah, different subject, a little bit more around uh, soil sampling. So we're strip tilling now, and uh, before we just did a, a grid sample based on GPS through the field pick points. Um, you guys soil sample, and if so, are you sampling in where you're going to do the strip tilling and put the fertilizer, or just random? I guess I'd be curious to see what, what you're doing and what success you've had. So we currently don't band with our strip till bar. Um, we're broadcasting in front of the strip till bar, so I, we're still doing grid sampling. Um, most of it's two and a half. I do have some that I'll do at one acre grids. Uh, but I think once we went to banding, I think I would maybe change that a little bit and not focus so much on the soil sampling. Um, I know I did ask the question when we went for going to banding and how do you soil sample? And uh, the way they, the, the, the soil sampling center kind of said was don't overthink it. Don't, you know, oh, I need to take five out of here, five out of here. Kind of use more cores, spread out the risk. You know, more is better. You're going to stretch out that any, any room for error, you're going to stretch that out further. Um, the guy actually kind of said maybe the best thing to do is the guy soil sampling, don't tell him that you banded and just let averages work out. So that, that's experience I've had with it. it it's a great question because I think I'd be thinking along the same lines that if we're banding here and you're randomly soil testing, you're going to once in a while probe a hot spot and then a, a non-spot kind of deal. And, and so we, we kind of quit soil sampling um, several years ago, but just for the sake of science, uh, we, we grid sampled a field back in 11 or 12, and then we've run a very minimalistic P and K program, not, almost non-existent, <clears throat> pounds over them years, and uh, so we'll grid sample that one, and it did have a few years of strip-till banding, and so we're going to grid sample it on <clears throat> just, just to see what's changed over that time frame, and, but that's my concern, and then if we're banding at that six to eight inch, and you're only sampling at six, does that change anything, or do you have to start the whole farm over at eight inches? I don't, I would ask another, on that line, uh, Gruber had a thing where they did some bio stripping, and so they took a cover crop and they did a, a instead of a mechanical strip till, they, they did the cover crop in a strip, and he just did a soil sample, and then between them they did a soil sample, and the green strip was much higher in fertility. You had a corn crop there last year with that massive root system, moved a lot of nutrients. Is that gonna have more nutrients in that spot because of the corn root? Right, it's almost like we might have to recalibrate ourselves on the soil sampling. I remember George Ream from the University of Minnesota did a ton of work on uh, when, with ridge tillers. He took cores every two inches and to help them figure out where to take the cores and then how to recalibrate, what does it mean to put on? So, yeah. yeah, so I was curious. Yeah. My wife's in charge of all of our soil testing. She pulls all the samples and she has the Nomad, so she goes to the same spot. We grid sampled all of our acres one time to get a portfolio of it. Um, we've since now moved to management zones, so it's a little less samples, but uh, with us staying in the same zone every year, 
she pulls a series from inside and outside of our planning zone to mix together and send in mostly so that we're getting uh, applications for like our Lyme for the whole profile. But uh, we, we were never really guided one way or the other. They just told us to be consistent with whatever we were doing. So we try to go back to that same spot and do the stop sign effect from the vehicle and kind of just building that portfolio. We're getting through to where we have, with the same lab that we have, you know, multiple years or over a six year time period that we're getting at least data to be able to sort through and see what is changing. Where do we need to move those management zones to? And how does it correlate to what we see in the field, knowing that that ridge is there, along with, with the combine mapping? Let's burn a quick time out and thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment. The 2984 strip freshener from Yetter gives you flexibility within your strip till system. You control the level of tillage performed to create the ideal seed bed. Strip fresheners can also place liquid or dry fertilizer in the strips. Use it ahead of the planter to facilitate consistent soil warming and bring existing strips to life. Use the strip freshener in the fall, in the spring, or in both seasons. You decide. Visit yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com for more information. Now, back to the conversation. All right, so with equipment shortages and supply chain issues, what's your approach to placing orders and how does that differ from your strategy for inputs? Uh, Brian Neal, we'll start with you. Um, I guess from an input standpoint, uh, we really didn't have too many issues with fertilizer or herbicides. We, we did have to go to a bigger supplier, uh, a smaller guy that we were using for some generics. He actually told us he really wasn't gonna be able to supply us. So we ended up going to our local co-op, which actually worked out uh, very well. Um, Equipment-wise, we're actually planning now for next spring, looking at a new strip-till bar, negotiating currently, um, just to make sure we have it by next spring. But everything else is kind of, you call and you find out, it's like, oh, we won't have it till this time. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and move on. <laughs> John? Uh, Equipment-wise, the, the auction lot always has stuff. I, the neighbor's weeds always have stuff. It, it, uh, I'm not worried about equipment-wise. Um, Herbicide, we, we moved half the farm this year to uh, non, uh, like organic type setup, not to be certified organic or anything like that, but just because of the herbicide availability and, the, and everything, we ended up beating the truck with the plant. So we were planting before the herbicide even showed up. And so we just put the small grains in and uh, just, just did it old school. Um, hopefully we can move forward with that more in the rotation and, and the fertilizer. I guess I'm the, the guy that looks at my soil and remembers eighth grade science that says your soil is made out of PK and 26 other minerals. And so I'm just gonna learn how to create availability out of that way so I don't have to be so dependent upon that purchase P and K and crop rotation and cattle can help bring that back. And if we eventually get to the point, we did some green fallow 20 years ago, 20, 22 years ago, we did a green fallow, um, kinda, it was, you know, you let it get up, the, the pigweed and everything come up big, and uh, we knocked it down. We didn't till it heavy, and it came back up and knocked it down a couple years. And then two years later, we did that again because uh, they were bad weather years, and we put a lot of manure on. And to this day, 20 years later, that field soil tests better, produces better, and everything. And so if I can take 
that kind of scenario and bring it to the rest of the farm. Um, maybe we don't, maybe when the co-op says that we're a little short on being gay and some nitrogen, you can be like, well, all right, I got options. Ryan Shaw, anything to add? Uh, on the equipment side, we mostly it's just the expendables. Since COVID hit, you kind of got used to trying to be more prepared for stuff. So, you know, when we buy a set of disc blades for the soil water, we might buy two sets just so we have them at the shop, the, the oil, the bearings. Um, for the herbicides ends, we've gotten pretty used to pre-buying it early. And then when they get to the delivery at the crop service, that we will even go pick it up ourselves just to have it on farm. And uh, instead of returning our overage, we just stock it for the next year. So it's just moving that up six more months to being pre-planned. So if you guys ever tried no-till, is it, right now I'm kind of more no-till than strip-till, is it worth it? Do you get enough of a yield bump converting everything to strip-till? From no-till or from conventional? From no-till. I would say analyze what you got going on. For us, the strip-till, our soil does not percolate water very well. And so for us, the strip-till is a fantastic transition tool from conventional to no-till. Uh, the no-till and conventional till maps were very similar. Uh, every little dip in the field was a very depressed yield or a zero. And so uh, I did the, I added it up in, in between the, well, on one field alone was 18 acres that we paid rent on, we fertilized, we sprayed, and we got zero kernels off of, because it had a little bit of dip. Um, we timed it perfect with the rains to drown that out of young seedlings. And uh, we're strip till, we can go through there and we've got you know five or seven years of maps and, and anecdotal evidence, which is still my evidence, that I can take them 18 acres and I can reclaim them. I didn't have to go rent 18 more acres the strip till open that soil up, lets that water percolate through and the seedling stays high and dry with, like we were talking in some of the other, you guys see it too, that the range, you don't get that half inch, you get four inches in a couple hours now. And so all them little dips are now, the water's away. And even with the aggressive primary tillage, <clears throat> by the time you do the finish pass and, and all the, the passes in the spring, even with primary tillage, them little dips, <laughs> would still suffer late season and strip till seems to do that. Uh, direct crop expense, I think when we started strip tilling, we had farm business management there and we were doing a, like a, on day one was $100 per acre, direct crop expense saving on equipment side and fertilizer application. The U of M had a lot of great reports of, of banding versus broadcast fertilizer at reduced rates. <clears throat> I didn't have to do that research, I just trusted, I just had to trust them and that's why we're doing that soil test after seven and seven or eight year ten well shit what year is it now okay that's 11 years but that's why we're doing that grid sampling now because we've been running such a reduced rate of p and k to see what really happened to the field because the yields are still trend lining better the strip till has just become a fantastic tool to uh, manage that thousand dollar a ton fertilizer now i think for us um I'd probably be opposite than what a lot of people would say, but I would be more willing to no-till corn we have in the past if the conditions are there in the spring. If it's soil moisture. It's not so much the strip, just more soil moisture. But beans, I, we used to no-till beans, and we moved to fall strips for beans. I don't think I'd give that up. 
Um, I would be willing to no-till corn, but to just make a pass with a strip-till bar, I think is very beneficial. Um, for us, with sugar beets in the rotation, with us having to close that lifter wheel slot uh, and take the strip-till machine through there to at least level it back out, we kind of have to on some of those acres, but like I said, with prioritizing getting over the corn stubble acres, we tend to look at it as the system ways that uh, strip-till necessarily isn't the finish line, that some chunks or some fields does do have the potential to be no-tilled, and that if, if we can get away with that, especially now that diesel prices are up, We'll, we'll take a serious look at that this fall, that you know we can get away with it on this field and not take a yield hit, especially if we don't have to apply the nutrients in it. We're, we set our planter up to be able to carry all the nutrients if we needed to on the planter, so we have that, that option. Are you pretty fertile soil since you don't apply <clears throat> nutrients with your strip till? Uh, we got out of dairy last year, so about half my ground doesn't require much uh, fertilizer. <laughs> Thank Grandpa for that one. Yeah, but a majority of our ground, I mean, I would say we've maintained pretty well, but a lot of it, the reason we haven't been banding was more logistics and we had a terrible experience the first year. Okay. Like the whole strip to bar almost left the entire farm. We got rid of the fertilizer applicator at the time. Um, and now we've been doing it enough now, we feel comfortable now. It's like we're ready to get back into it. Okay. A lot of that was more just logistics, manpower, equipment. Now we feel like we're to that point, we could take it on again and be just as efficient. So looking ahead to 2023, are you guys thinking about making any changes or additions to the uh, crop rotation? Absolutely. Uh, try and go more green. More green, God, I hate you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'd, I'd really like to see if we couldn't keep trying the, the living cover on a few acres, uh, more crop rotation and diversity there. And, uh, and then, like we had said, with the other things. And I'd, I'd really be curious if we couldn't, either move to some banding behind the strip-till bar or the planter. Um, like our grandparents, you know, when, when times were tough, they weren't spending, they weren't just writing checks to the co-ops like we do. And uh, I've had a few old guys give me quite a few lectures like, yeah, my dad, you know, we had the, you had the old herbicide thing on the back of the planter. Like, yeah, we didn't, fur, we didn't herbicide the whole, we just had to protect that plant. And you're like, well, God dang, you know, I wonder, can that kind of stuff work nowadays? And then with the green manuring behind the small grains, we're a, we're a yield limited environment. That's why I ask if your soil is pretty rich because we're, we'd be the opposite. So we're, we're, we're low on PK, organic matter and pH and missing some topsoil. But other than that, it's a beautiful place. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it, we're, we're very yield limited on that stuff. But the, the fun part of it is that the small grains work really well we lack some markets for that so you you know but we can make up for some of that stuff because at a thousand dollar a ton fertilizer we can green manure behind it just like grandpa did and and not have that expense the following you know so you're setting yourself up this fall for success in 23 and 20 you know you're two three years out uh, i think with uh with crop rotation um, we did make some changes this spring. We actually added some corn on co more corn on corn to the system. Since we stripped for both, it was just a, we just made a freshener pass for the corn on corn. Um, even, at, even with the extra cost of nitrogen, we still thought, it, and when we could sell corn for that price as well. Um, but I think for 23, compared to the last couple of years, maybe our corn on corn will be a little higher. 
Uh, the wheat acres stay about the same. Those only go on certain pieces of ground. Um, but from a rotation wise, that's nothing's gonna change too much there. Uh, for a rotation for us, we wanna incorporate, uh, get a few more acres of some small grains. We do grow 100 acres of cereal rye to keep for our own seed. But uh, to get a few more acres of that, because it's uh, the best way to get the neighbors to start using cover crops is to give them some seed. So uh, we're gonna do that. We'd like to, we're in a pretty diverse area. I mean, we, they grow pickles and potatoes and stuff. And, but we'd like to get into some edible beans or possibly some non-GMO beans just to spread ourselves out a little bit. And uh, I think it was mentioned at one of the other, or maybe Brian's, that the sugar beets, we'd like to extend that rotation out to get to that four or five years in between the sugar beets being grown on each chunk. What about technology? Eyeing any new technology for the upcoming year? Any additions or? Can you get it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we did order some new 4640 screens and 6,000 globes that finally came in. So we went to passive implement guidance on both of our strip toe bars and planters. Um, other than that, nothing really from a technology standpoint that we're going to be doing differently. I'm on the ag leader side, and I, I'm content with what I have. We're, we're good to go, you know. I, I, yeah. Uh, sometimes I think we, to be completely honest, we may have too much of the technology end on our farm that uh, we have an immense amount of data that we we aren't using the technology we have already to its full potential. In my mind. We're quite a few years behind sorting through all that data that uh, before we add anything else to it, I think we're gonna spend some time over the winters and really dive into that and see where we can use that to maximum potential. Got a few minutes left if anyone has any questions in the, oh, we got one over here. All right, go for it. Yeah, John, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your green manuring practice and what sort of end rates you're using after the green manure. Historically in our area, the alfalfa was the nitrogen that we used, and so I'm just trying to bring that back. Um, but we, we know in our area that we're usually planting on soil that's just coming out of frost, or you, you still have frost below. So we still are, I'm a big advocate, or, or I'm addicted to the in-furrow product. And then uh, I think to, to wean myself off or to, step into this gracefully, I would probably still run a tiny bit of maybe 10, 20% of our end program. I would still probably side dress very early because I don't know, is it, is it gonna be a hot year, a late spring, a cold year? You know, how fast is that crop gonna break down for us uh, when we're not moldboarding it anymore? Uh, does that matter? I, 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 I don't know, and so, I think that's where the management with like John Kempf and, and just some of these other companies coming in to, to just baby step our way, if that makes sense. I guess we don't really do a lot of what I call green manure. We do have manure, but nowhere near enough. And I use that more from a P and K building standpoint on certain fields. From a nitrogen standpoint, the last two years we've been right at a 0.7 applied. Uh, and that's what I try to use actually been very happy with the yields at that 0.7, but we're actually looking at increasing. We're thinking we're actually limiting ourselves a little bit at that 0.7, um, whether that being we may need to band a little bit more, do a little better job that way, um, or increase the rates a little bit and hopefully see the overall average go up. How do you handle uh, your pH 
uh, with uh, no-till and strip-till, uh, do you try to use a pelleted product or do you do a full with tillage to try to bring your pH down and then go back to your program or, or what's your scenario? Uh, we, we just VRT rate um, 80, 89 lime, uh, leave it on top of the ground and strip through it. Been doing that for quite a few years and I, I don't have a way of banding any say pell lime or anything that way, but that's what we've been doing. Um, seems to be working. I'm not going to take a disc or a chisel plow to try to incorporate it deeper. So we've just been broadcasting before we strip. Oh, we're pretty fortunate with the sugar bait company. We've got plenty of lime for really close. So we, uh, when we do need it, it's variable rated and uh, we just broadcast it over the top, uh, preferably before we make the strip so they're not driving on them. But we don't worry either about incorporating it in. Yeah, we get a product. There's a, a wood ash plant or something up by Carlton, Minnesota that they'll, it's a byproduct until they blend it with lime. And so for us, it's a very economical source. Uh, our soil naturally sit around a 5.5. Five. And so <clears throat> to do it a ton every year, you know, you do it three years, once every three years kind of deal. This question is kind of around soybeans. Are you guys able to do 15 inch soybeans? Uh, that's the first question. And the second is, is, you know, you're saying you weren't going back uh, once you went to strip till, strip till and soybeans. What, what was the benefit that you saw? I mean, you get more pods, more leaves, you know, what's, what's the driving force there? March. <laughs> um, strip till allowed for earlier planting date. Uh, in my opinion, row spacing, might offend somebody, but row spacing doesn't matter in my opinion, depending on your planting date. Uh, if we're early enough in the year, if you're talking April, doesn't matter. I don't know if I would get wider than 30, but strip till for us is allowed to increase our average planting date forward, probably about two weeks. There is a separate planter in there, fall strips. That's for us, it's just, it was kind of a game changer. Uh, just to be able to move that planting date from where we used to be to where we are now and just seeing, I mean, shorter plants, tighter nodes, more beans, longer maturities, higher yields, easier harvest. Um, I mean, the benefits kind of just kept going on and on, but uh, we, we will do 15s if it gets late enough in the year. I like to use May 20th. If we get beyond May 20th, I'll get the air seeder out, get the beans in as early as possible. And the 30 inch strip till is what allows that for me. I agree, Plant, planting early is uh, the best way for us. Uh, we're twin rows centered on 30s, so it leaves us a 22 inch gap. It helped us close the rows a little bit sooner for those late emerging weeds and stuff. But uh, typically a lot of our beans follow our sugar beet ground. So it's either bare or black, or you know, we've got the inner seeded cover crop in it. So a lot of times that's fit before the corn stalks that are going into beans. So we're able to do that beet dirt first. And then a lot of times we'll go plant corn for a while and let those corn stacks air out. But we'll bump the population up and then through the corn stacks. Soybeans, they drive a man nuts. <laughs> uh, so we did, uh, when we first started transitioning to strip till, uh, we did no-till strip till and had some full tillage and then with no fertility and then brought in fertility things and then took one strip till plot just because I was gonna be Kip colors and uh, you know, we got 35 bushel ground, I can, we're there. Um, and so I put the corn program in with it. And uh, at the end of the year, uh, I've, I've learned enough of them trials that soybeans, we go for dollars in, dollars out. It's not yield based um, because cash flow wise, after 
hundreds of them trials over several years. The, the no-till or strip-till beans with no fertility and nothing on it out cash load. Uh, but the, the one I found intriguing was the, the corn program under that soybean. Uh, it actually made like 63 bushels. And we're just like, new work, you know. Um, but it was, had the year been shorter, uh, we, we didn't get a killing frost until late October. And, and so now we, that's how the other half of the world lives sometimes. But had the season been shorter, that one I think would have been a massive yield increase because in, in early August, that plant was many pods ahead and, and very far ahead on vegetative growth. And so if we would have had a normal September, early September killing frost, the other plants might not have got that late season. So after the beans canopy, if we ever get a late season like that, they'll actually shoot some growth above the canopy and give, give kind of like a second kick in. And that's where we jump from 35 to, to 50 bushels. But September 11th frost usually nips that off and stops it. So it's, there, there's, there was some potential there, but we tried salt, you know, we tried AMS things. And the first time we tried an AMS thing on soybeans, um, it was a 10 bushel response. And you're like, I've got this figured out. I'm, I'm the greatest soybean guy in the county. And the next four years trying to duplicate that, I couldn't get a single response. And you're just like, I am frustrated. And uh, so yeah, yeah, soybeans, I think the big thing with the strip till and soil health, so I mean, there's a lot of, University guys out there will say soybeans respond to fertility, not fertilizer. And so I think with the soil health, you roll an old sod over, you know, nine on your P1, 30, 40 on your K. Uh, we get a lot of that kind of soil test and you roll that over with a moldboard and you, you get phenomenal beans because that thing's had 20 years of mineralization that might not show up on paperwork. And, and maybe that that's a local. I, just saying, that, you know, uh, for us, that, that's the kind of responses we get. I believe we have time for one more right over here. Yeah, um, we have about 24 beef cows. I'm just kind of curious, how do you guys, if maybe you don't you guys have any livestock or not, but how do you get your manure, on what kind of equipment do you, would you use to haul it out, and when would you haul it out, or how does that all work without wrecking your burns? If you, because we stripped till in the fall, so, so yeah, how do you handle the manure if you guys have livestock at all? You had the balls. <laughs> so we do own a chisel plow yet. What we'll do when the ground's froze, so I'll make fall strips and then we'll stockpile everything until the ground's froze, then haul on that, which some people can't haul on frozen ground. We're small enough, we're, we're able to. Um, and then I will, uh, Come springtime when it thaws out, I will dedicate a small chunk of a field or a small field that's gonna get beat up until about June 1st. Um, that will see tillage. But uh, then on the, where we did haul manure, we'll freshen that, just go by, push it away a little bit and then plant into that. Uh, that's been working really well for us. It's not liquid, we're using a bedding pack. When we did have liquid, this is a whole different conversation, we did a lot more tillage. Now that the dairy is gone and we don't have the dairy, the dairy liquid manure, it's a lot easier to strip till. I don't have a great answer with manure and strip till. I'm no, I know there's guys doing it, but it's, you start talking tankers, compaction, wet soils, wet springs, it, it can be very difficult in my opinion. So we, we had a tanker, um, and then we also had a, like a, a night side slinger spreader for bedding pack. We rent a vertical beater for pack, and uh, 
I guess that's where with the cattle, the, the soil health and the, the whole, all the other stuff, you know, just comes together so well. It, it, that's what really helped us launch forward is because you can't fail if you have cattle because anything becomes feed. And, uh, but we did have great luck with the, with the pen pack manure. Um, we were always told you can't, and you, you can't not or you must incorporate the manure and, and so we haven't done that for quite a while. The vertical beaters just work good. Throughout the summer the rains melted into the soil. Um, then your strip-till machine, you know, if you beat the strip-till machine or with the crop rotation, you got some hay grounds, maybe you can do it there because, yeah, with the, with the equipment, the manure spreader, your, your beet, all your beet equipment, you know, it changed the name, but the, the, the potentials are the same for field damage and traffic and stuff. And so with the cattle, pick and choose your, your battles and, and stuff. But yeah, I, I don't worry about it. I, okay, let's just back that up and erase the last five minutes. Non-issue, just go spread it. Just watch your, watch your soil. We're working with a local dairy that's here for the first time. We're gonna give them some silage in exchange for some manure. We're gonna find out yeah, how much compaction they do make and, and how to mitigate it. We, for the tillage part of it, it's the, the ground's all interseeded with a cover crop. So we'll be able to uh, liquid manure it on, probably about 5,000 gallon, stay in compliance with applying it to a green growing crop and watch it, see what, when would be the best time to make go through it. Without all the residue there, we might possibly just leave it through the winter and then make the strip till pass in the spring in it. See if we can control the traffic of the manure tankers to come in one driveway, go across the field, go out the other driveway without turning around in the centers. If they don't make it all the way across, don't go back for it, just start and go until you run out. Um, just to keep any of the cross traffic and driving on the berms and keep the compaction on our 30 foot tram lines, let them spread the 30 feet, try and contain it, their compaction where ours is. Some of the University of Minnesota guys were up giving a presentation and you start to learn which ones like tillage and chemicals and so you have fun with them. And we got them to admit that in our highly erodible soil, so again, a local scenario, if I was to spread that manure and then go out with a, a disc, a vertical till, a digger, do a shallow incorporation, if it was in the fall, let's say, behind a season, by the time the next spring comes around, we would have enough wash off our land. I think you would lose more than you would have gained by trying to save that manure. Whereas if I can throw it on top of that ground, the covers and everything else are holding that water back, reducing the runoff and getting that nutrient into the ground. And uh, so I, just a food for thought, you know, of where you're at. And then you got local, like you had said, local regulations. And that'll wrap things up. Thanks to John Stevens, Ryan Nell, and Ryan Shaw for joining us at the conference. If you're interested in this summer's National Strip Tillage Conference, head to our website, striptillfarmer.com. Com. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment. I'm Noah Newman. Have a great day.